and well met, everyone. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a podcast by a nerd for other nerds that love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather, and I'll be your host as we journey into the wondrous land of information. Hi, everyone. This is Heather from Geek Thyself. Before we start off with this week's topic, I just wanted to correct something that I accidentally left out of last week's episode. Normally, I've been giving you guys the source book or information on where I found my sources, at least, so that you could look it up on your own if you wanted to. Last week, I forgot to mention that the primary source I used for the Yokai episode was Yokai Attack, the Japanese Monster Survival Guide. It's a book by Hiroko Yoda and Matt Alt. And it's a really good book. There's some cool looking artwork in it. I recommend checking it out if you found the topic really interesting. Uh, the other sources are primarily my own information from over the years. The Yuki Onna is actually not in Yokai Attack, but I've read up on it my on my own because I like the subject. So I just knew that story and that information from various sources, and I don't know specifically which ones. Similarly, the childhood story that I know of the the two goblins, the two Tengu, whatever word you want to use for them, that uh, came from my own knowledge, not from a book. Well, from a book when I was a kid, but I don't know all the details. So if you uh, want to look those up, I Definitely recommend checking out the Yokai Attack book. It had a lot of great information. And with that, we're going to go into this week's topic. Just south of San Francisco is San Jose, California, the heart of the Silicon Valley. A technological mecca for a lot of people and nestled in the middle of the high rises and the malls and the urban development and technology is a 160-room mansion built in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Very lavish, very beautiful, and very mysterious. For anyone familiar with the area, I'm talking about the Winchester Mystery House. To really understand the mystery of the Winchester Mystery House, you have to understand some of the unfortunately sad and also interesting history of the woman who built it, Mrs. Sarah Winchester. Sarah Winchester was born Sarah Pardee in New Haven, Connecticut. She came from a well-to-do family, and when she was 22, she married William Wirt Winchester, who was one of the grandsons of the original owner of the Winchester Rifle Company. Historically, during this time, the Winchester Repeating Rifle was one of the most popular, if not the most popular, gun that was used by people heading west, by soldiers. It had been used in the Civil War. It had been used in a lot of skirmishes and full-on battles with different Native American groups. It was a very well-known rifle, and it had even coined the phrase, the gun that won the West because it was used so often, it was very easy for everyone to use, and it was relatively inexpensive compared to some of the other types of rifles that were out there at the time. This made the Winchesters very, very rich, so they didn't want for anything. Unfortunately, that didn't cross over into their personal lives. 
The Winchesters only ever had one child, a daughter they named Annie, and she sadly passed away as an infant. She was barely more than a month old in 1866. This devastated Sarah Winchester, I'm sure her husband as well, but it ultimately led to her being rather depressed, hiding herself away, and about 15 years later, her husband also passed away from tuberculosis in 1881. So after this happened, she was understandably very upset. You know, she'd lost her only child. She'd now lost her husband. She had a lot of money, but she didn't necessarily have anything she wanted to spend it on. And she ended up visiting a psychic, which was something that was very popular during that time frame, during the late 1800s, early 1900s, Victorian age. It was very popular to do seances and things like that. It was a big, big fad. So she went and saw a psychic in Boston who, according to the stories, told her that the reason her husband had died and the reason her daughter had died was because the spirits of all of those killed by Winchester rifles had come back to haunt them and caused them problems. Essentially, the psychic told her, again, per the stories, that these ghosts of those killed by the Winchester rifles had sought vengeance and had done so by taking away her daughter and her husband. The psychic also told her that the only way for her to protect herself from these angry spirits was to move west and build a house that she never finished. Now, there's some variation on this tale depending on who's telling it and exactly which accounting. As far as I know, there's no actual record of exactly what was said to Sarah by the psychic in Boston. However, the end result, no matter what, is always the same. Sarah moved west, all the way from New Haven, Connecticut, to San Jose, California, in the Santa Clara Valley. And she looked and looked and found a place, finally, that she settled on as her home. It was an eight-room, unfinished farmhouse, which she then built onto repeatedly over the years, never ceasing the building, always having a new project, always constructing something new. The story I always heard as a kid was that she'd been told if she ever stopped building, the ghosts would find her. So she always had carpenters going. There was always painting. There was always someone building something onto the house. And it became huge and interesting and very unique, extremely unique. She purchased the farmhouse in 1884 and by her death in 1922 had turned the eight-room farmhouse into a 160-room mansion. In fact, by the time the 1906 earthquake hit the San Francisco Bay Area, her small eight-bedroom farmhouse had become a seven-story mansion, one of the tallest buildings in the area, if not the tallest, and had expanded to include well over 100 acres of land. Now, even in the late 1800s, Doing this sort of building would have obviously been very expensive, and she imported a lot of her pieces from all over the world, including 
special wallpaper that was made of compressed wood and molded and very expensive. We're talking several hundred dollars a square foot. And that's at minimum and at today's prices. So you can imagine, you know, when you put that into the late 1800s, how much money she spent on all of this. She could afford to, though. Upon her husband's death, she had inherited all of his shares of the Winchester Rifle Company. And she didn't have to go into the office. She didn't really have to do much of anything. She could let them make decisions via proxy for her shares. But she got all the residuals. So she was making about $1,000 a day. And that's back in the late 1800s. And that's before you consider all of the money that was left to her by her husband upon his death. Just the straight up cash that she was left. So Sarah Winchester had money to spend. And she spent it not only on very, very high quality craftsmanship for her home, but also on her workers. The going rate at the time was roughly $1.50 for a day's work, and she actually would pay her laborers $3 a day. So despite her eccentricities, a lot of people wanted to work for her because you could make a really good wage. I also learned recently from another tour of the Winchester Mystery House that she would hire Asian American workers or they might have been immigrants, they might not have been born there, but she would hire Asian workers, which is something that a lot of people at the time wouldn't do. Historically, it was a time when a lot of the American citizens did not want to treat the Chinese and Japanese immigrants very well because they were worried about them taking their jobs and things like that. There's a, a lot of historical stuff going on dealing with that particular issue and immigration at the time kind of interesting that it's reflected now in various ways but regardless she was willing to hire those chinese and japanese workers to work on her home she saw their skills she saw that they were good at what they could do and she didn't care she hired them on the other hand though i did also learn again from one of my tours i've been on there that she didn't like tall people Sarah Winchester was very short herself. She was only four foot ten, and she was known for having some of the new workers as they were coming in or people who wanted to work for her go through certain doors that weren't very large in order to determine if they were small enough for her. She didn't like super tall people. So go figure. She had no problem with ethnicities that a lot of people in the area did have an issue hiring, but she wouldn't like you if you were tall. It's said that the construction on the Winchester Mystery House continued 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year until Sarah Winchester's death in 1922. Now, realistically, there are a lot of people, myself included, who suspect that that may be a slight exaggeration simply because logistically that seems pretty impossible to have someone building on your house every minute of the day for 38 years straight without ever having a, a break in the building. But that's what the legend says. Anyway, one variation of the story I heard growing up is that the day Sarah Winchester died was the day that the carpenter called in sick. 
again, not sure how much is an adult, I believe that, but as a kid, I thought that was amazing because how incredible would it be to be building for so long on your house and then the one day that one of your workers calls in sick is the day you passed away. Pretty incredible coincidence. Not sure how much of it is accurate, but it makes for a really good story. Sarah Winchester passed away peacefully in her sleep on September 5th, 1922. And at the time of her death, the mansion that she had spent so long building onto had rambled to cover over six acres when you include the garden grounds. It contained 160 rooms, 2,000 doors, 10,000 windows, 47 stairways, 47 fireplaces, 13 bathrooms, six kitchens, and just one shower that she had installed not long before her death as a new technology that had become available. And there's a lot of things that aren't finished on the property, a lot of things she had started building, but then upon her death, the projects were never completed. So it really is true that the Winchester Mystery House is the house that Sarah Winchester never finished building. With that, we're going to take our mid-episode break, as usual, and I'll be back after the break with more information on specific details about the house and interesting quirks and building pieces of it that I think are really fascinating. Okay, everyone. So last week I talked to you about the some of the Nerdsmith subscriptions and that there's different levels and you can sign up on our website, nerdsmith.org. This week I want to start telling you about our subscription drive, which is going to start on April 16th. Now, during the subscription drive, you can sign up and in addition to access to all the things we offer year-round, you also get some sort of special merchandise. It'll be exclusive Nerdsmith merchandise that you can only get during the subscription drive. So definitely want to keep your eye out for that. Also coming soon is our Threads in the Veil audio drama, which is going to tangentially shadow the antics of the Shenanigans Active Play podcast. It's being produced by Angela, one of our Nerdsmith directors, has some great voice actors. It's going to be really interesting and give you a little more insight into the world of Vale, where the shenanigans takes place. So I definitely recommend that you check that out as well. All of this information and the audio drama when it becomes available are going to be on our website, nerdsmith.org. And for the podcasts, you can also go to iTunes or anywhere else that you download your podcasts. And with that, back to the Winchester Mystery House. So given that she continued to build onto the house the entire time she owned it, it's not really surprising that the Winchester Mystery House has a lot of very strange architectural oddities. We're talking about a lot of different things. I've been there a couple of times, as I've mentioned, and there's things going on such as stairs that lead up into the ceiling. 
it's a small flight of stairs that literally leads up into the ceiling and nothingness. There's just, there's nothing. It hits the ceiling and you're done. There's also uh, a door that opens out onto nothing. It's a door on the outside of the house. And if you open it and took a step out, you would fall to the ground. And it's not on the first story. It's on the second story. You'd have a long fall. It's not recommended. In addition to the door to nowhere, there are also a lot of repetitions of the number 13 throughout the house. There are rooms that'll have 13 windows. There are areas where she has 13 steps. She really liked that number. And in the middle of the house is actually the seance room. It's this little blue room that has one entrance, but two exits. She actually had a special door put in that she could leave through, but not enter through. So that if she wanted to go in there and then not leave the way she came in, she had sort of a secret exit that she could go out of that led into a different room entirely. There are also a lot of stairs called easy risers in a couple different spots in the house. Easy risers are stairs that are significantly shorter, so you don't have to step up as high. The reason she had those put in is that, for one thing, she's short, which I mentioned earlier. She was very short. She was only like 4'10". But in addition to that, she had really, really bad crippling arthritis when she got older. There were a lot of fireplaces throughout the house, partly so that things could stay warm, which made it easier for her. But in addition, she had these tiny little stairs put in because it made it easier for her to walk up them. And she did a lot of switchback staircases. So instead of just a straight up staircase, like what you see in a lot of houses now, with just the one turn to go up in the opposite direction, she had, like I said, sort of switchback style staircases. So they're very narrow and they're difficult to get up. But it made it easier for her because she didn't have to hardly lift her legs at all, which was easier for her with such crippling arthritis that she had in her old age. Another quirky thing about the house is just how much of it is not finished. And some of this is because she died before, obviously, it was finished since she kept building. But also some of it is because she would start a project and then stop it. Partly likely because of the wanting to continue building, but there's also other reasons. After the 1906 earthquake, a large portion of the house collapsed, which it was a huge earthquake, so that's not too surprising, given the building standards of the time not being up to earthquake code like what we have now. But what happened is she was actually trapped inside one of the bedrooms at the front of the house for hours before they were able to get her out because they didn't have the technology we have now to remove people and remove the rubble and everything. So after that, she had them close up the whole front of the house. They had a bunch of things they hadn't finished doing. They had just installed brand new front doors not long before, and she just closed the whole thing up and didn't go to that portion of the house anymore until well, ever. And she passed away before she ever went back there. It's actually only in recent years that they've opened up the front of the house more, including the front doors. And super, super recently is when they actually started using the front doors again. It happened around the same time as the production and announcements for the Winchester movie that came out in February. And that movie is obviously very much not factually based. It's a 
sort of a ghost thriller horror movie that stars Helen Mirren. And I haven't personally seen it. I love Helen Mirren, so I'll probably see it eventually. But definitely not a based-in-fact movie, more of a sensationalized version of the story of Sarah Winchester. Nonetheless, around that time, because they let the filming crew actually use parts of the house, there are certain areas that they had to restore more, and one of them was the front of the house, because at the time they set the story, she would have been using it. Speaking of parts of the house being used, one room that was built and is absolutely beautiful, but was never actually fully used to its best capacity, is her ballroom. Her ballroom is absolutely gorgeous that she built, and it was never used to host a ball. She has all sorts of details built into the walls. The floor is this beautiful checkerboard pattern of nice hardwood. Uh, one of the mysteries of the room, though, are two windows on either side of one of the fireplaces. There are two different Shakespeare quotes, but they're from two completely different plays. And no one knows what the meaning was behind those lines to Sarah Winchester because she never told anyone and there was nothing left behind to tell us. So the two lines, one is from Troilus and Cressida, wide unclasp the table of their thoughts. It's a line spoken by Ulysses referring to something about Cressida's flirting nature. And then the second line is these same thoughts people this little world, which is from Richard II. He's referring to his thoughts keeping him company in his confinement. But beyond what these lines refer to in their plays, no one knows exactly what Mrs. Winchester thought when she chose them to be put into these very, very detailed stained glass windows. The ballroom was also at the front of the house, so one possibility for why she never used it is that after the earthquake, she closed it up along with the rest of the front of the house. We don't know 100%. There's one story about her having invited some sort of famous orchestra to perform at her ballroom, and then she hurriedly got the ballroom ready to go because of it, but scheduling conflict, and then the orchestra never played at her house. It's hard to say how accurate that is. There's a lot of conjecture regarding her. She didn't like to tell people about her personal life. So unfortunately, we don't know as much about some of the decisions of why she did what she did with the house or why she kept herself hidden away quite so much. One of the things that I really like about the house as well, because I really like plants and flowers and gardening, is that her gardens are expansive. They are huge, and she had a lot of them. And she imported a lot of different plants from all over the world. She had plants imported from England and other parts of Europe, as well as plants from South America that weren't native to the area, but she saw them in a book or heard about them and wanted to have them in her garden. Moving back to the inside of the house... There are a lot of little quirks and details beyond what I've already mentioned that made Sarah Winchester seem even more mysterious to the people working for her, but also the locals who then heard about these things that were being put into the house. For instance, she's got a couple of spots where she's got wooden slats put out in such a way that the servants could lay wooden boards across them and then clean windows on the outside. 
So she created things like that that are actually quite useful. There's another spot in the house that I thought was really interesting because personally, I absolutely hate doing laundry. It is one of my least favorite things to do, but I have to do it because clean clothes are important. And what she did is she created something in her house that made laundry not take as long. Back then, they had to wash the laundry and you had to cart water back and forth if you didn't have running water. You had to heat the water and then you had to deal with the washing. You had to rinse and you had to dry them by wringing them out first. And it was a very, very long process. And because there were so many rooms in her house and so many beds and linens that had to be washed regularly, what she did is she created an entire laundry room inside her house, which isn't something that was very common back then. And she also had running water to the sinks and multiple sinks. She had three big sinks, one that could be used for the initial washing, one that could be used for rinsing and, and so on. And she also invented something and built it into those sinks. And that was instead of just a regular sink, she built a washboard into the sink. So her maids or whoever was doing the laundry at the time didn't have to go get a washboard to scrub the clothing. There was one already built into the sink for them. And it also had a little soap dish for the soap they were using to wash them. In addition, having the running hot and cold water made it so that the maids weren't constantly having to go heat water to rinse things and keep the laundry going. And she put a large, 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 it's really big. She put a big ringer inside the laundry room as well so that they didn't have to take the laundry very far in order to wring it out before they took it somewhere to dry. So she put in a lot of these little things which were quirky at the time, some of them practical, some of them not. There's also things like a wine cellar that no one knows the location of. The story goes that at some point, Despite her love of wine, Sarah Winchester went down to look for a bottle and came across a black handprint on the wall. She got worried, thinking maybe it was a spirit or something. It was probably a worker who'd done something down there and just had really dirty hands, but she got concerned about it being some sort of angry ghost that had almost found her, so she boarded up the wine cellar and never went back. And to this day, they haven't found the wine cellar. And she had a lot of money and expensive taste in wine. So somewhere under the Winchester mansion, there may be some like million dollar bottles of wine by now. Who knows? Because they're so old. Another story that I really like is of how quirky a boss she could be in terms of picking who was going to work with her. One of the stories from the book I used is that when she was trying to hire a new gardener, she had three different applicants, and she told all three of them to plant a row of cabbages upside down. The first gardener did it without even hesitating. He didn't question it. He just did it because she told him to. The second gardener refused to do it because you don't plant cabbages upside down. The third gardener told her, I'll do this, but you might want to consider doing it this way because usually they get planted with their roots in the ground, not upside down. And she ended up giving the job to the third gardener because he was willing to speak his mind and let her know his opinion. But at the same time, he recognized that she was the boss. So when she told him to do it, he would do it. With that, I'm going to 
call an end to this episode. I don't want to give away too much about the Winchester Mystery House beyond what I already have, partly because if any of you decide to go at any point, I want you to get to see some of the mystery and still learn some of the interesting quirks about it. Now, if you don't think you're likely to go to the Winchester Mystery House anytime soon and you would like more information on it, as well as perhaps supporting their funding because they're only funded by the tours they give and donations, they don't get money from the state or anything like that, then I would recommend looking them up online. I believe you can buy this book online as well as inside their visitor shop where I got it, but it's a book called The Winchester Mystery House. The Mansion Designed by Spirits. And it's available at their gift store. And like I said, I believe online as well on their website. And um, it's an interesting read. There's a lot of information I couldn't include because, again, I only have a half hour. So I'm, you know, not going to be able to fit it all. But I definitely recommend checking out that book if you want to know more. There are also biographies of Sarah Winchester's life that are going to be a little more historically accurate. Then the movie that just came out earlier this year, nothing against Helen Mirren, though. I love her as an actress, but I do believe that though her portrayal was good, it's not likely to be super accurate given that it's a horror-based ghost movie. So there's that. Again, I hope you enjoyed this topic and I will be back next week. Please remember to check out the other wonderful podcasts and productions here at nerdsmith.org. I'll be back next week with a new and interesting topic. And until then, don't forget to geek thyself. Send us your questions about magical mishaps or tune in for the latest music on the mythical airwaves. Make sure you tune in for the latest tournament results and where to find the best parties on campus. Or maybe the latest test answers, too. You don't even go here. Never let your schooling interfere with your education, Rupert. WAND Radio. Magic, music, and mayhem. On nerdsmith.org or wherever you download your podcasts. We are not inciting mayhem on this radio station. That's a terrible idea. How could you think that that would work? Hello, fans of Critical Role. Do you mean to make your music more melodious? Do you seek to sing like Scanlan Shorthalt? We'll look no further than Crosswords, a new video series from the creator of the Critical Role Hamilton mashup album. And also this song. Crosswords with Will Crossway. Advice and analysis for the musician at the gaming table. Available on nerdsmith.org or wherever you watch your YouTube videos. YouTube, right? Probably YouTube.